You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.church. Jesus. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series that's been centered around all things money, generosity, and the very things that Jesus talked about when it came to giving. If you're new to Christianity or maybe new to our church, it's probably good to know on the front end that Jesus talked about money. In fact, he talked a lot about money. He was never afraid to talk about things that made people anxious or stressed out because he was always wanting to minister to individuals' hearts and lean communities towards him instead of their pocketbooks. This whole series has been about how the human heart, if left unchecked, does have a tendency to choose money sometimes over other greater blessings in life. We're going to continue that series today with a message I've titled, Money Over Impact. Money Over Impact impact. We all want to make an impact. We all want to do good in the world. We want to make a difference in the world around us. But if we're not careful, we can spend a lot of our time, a lot of our energy, and a lot of our resources building our bank accounts instead of building the kingdom. A mentor of mine, a vineyard pastor from out east, tells a funny story about how money and impact played out in his own church. The true story, his church was growing at the time at an exponential rate. They were running out of room. They had a variety of projects to do around their building. And so he started praying for really big prayers, like really big things, because he needed God to come through in a significant way. His big prayer was he started asking for a million dollars. God, the church needs a million dollars. We're growing and a million dollars would bless the church so much. A couple of days after that prayer, he opened up his local newspaper and the front headline said, anonymous donor gives a million dollars to local church. Unfortunately for him, it was the church two blocks down the road. He crumbled up the paper. He said, God, the vineyard church. I meant the vineyard church. Of course, he like, you know, he like put his good little pastor hat on and was celebrating with the other church that got this anonymous donation for a million dollars because, of course, he was celebrating, right, that somebody gave a significant amount of money. I think we can all agree that would be a significant amount of money to impact the world. That person chose to make their money work for them in a kingdom kind of way. This morning, our scripture is going to be from 1 Timothy. There's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Both of them are letters written by a man named Paul who is writing to a younger man named Timothy. See, Paul, he, he spent a lot of his time and energy raising up leaders and then sending them out because this is a kingdom value to raise leaders up and launch them wherever God is calling them. And Paul did this often, and then he would check in with them. He would write to them, just continuing to coach and mentor and disciple them. First and Second Timothy are two of those letters. We're going to be reading from First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 
to 19. This is what it says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, I, I love this passage. I love how it's written, kind of mentor to mentee, Paul to Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy, teach the church this. Teach the followers about these kinds of, of ways to live your life because if they will lean into this lifestyle, they will experience true life. So let's kind of break it down just a little bit together this morning. Start by looking at verse 17 together, particularly uh, the first part of verse 17 where it says, teach those who are rich. Teach those who are rich. Now, a room this size with the people viewing online, I know that what will happen for some of us is that we will say in our minds or in our hearts, well, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me. But I just want to caution you to not move too quickly. Because in all likelihood, if you are in this room or if you're viewing online, you are in this scripture. If you're in this room, you are in this scripture. If you only compare yourself, of course, to the rich and famous or Hollywood's elite, then maybe by proximity and comparison, you will say to yourself, I'm not that rich. Or if you're on hard luck, maybe you've lost a job or you've looked at the stock market lately, you would say to yourself, I'm not that rich, but if you'll expand your comparisons from a microcosm or just the local or even national scale, if you'll begin to think globally with me for a moment, I think that we can all begin to realize that we're all doing quite well. I have some statistics to share around global, the global understanding of poverty. Right now, the international poverty line sits at $1.90 a day, or about 700 bucks a year. If you make 700 bucks a year or less, you are considered poor at a global scale. If you make $701 a year, you are not considered poor at a global scale. Globally, that's what it takes to be considered poor. Another, or the other graphic, I think just, uh, just below it, represents the top 1% of the world. The top 1% of the world. If you roughly make $30,000 a year, 99% of the world is worse off than you. It takes $30,000 to be considered in the top 1% at a global scale. And even if $30,000 is too high, you only need a net worth of $4,200 to be better off than half of the globe. Net worth, not cash in the bank. Assets minus liabilities, $4,200. If you have that much, you are better than 50% of the world when it comes to financial health. Now, I know in a room here this morning, as well as folks online, that we're not all in the same place. 
Many are far from rich according to maybe local standards. You don't feel rich at all. Maybe you live paycheck to paycheck or even worse. You're wondering what could happen to your life if you have one more medical emergency or your car breaks down. I realize that we're in different places, but can we also take a moment to realize together that we have a lot to be thankful for, that we live pretty good lives. I remember talking to one of my international friends, and she said that when she came to the United States, she had a panic attack the first time she went to a grocery store, a for real panic attack. She was sitting in the midst of the cereal aisle, overwhelmed by the amount of choices that she could buy when it came to cereal. She cried, and she didn't know what to do. She tells my wife and I, the story, she said, I was completely overwhelmed. We had one choice, and you only got it if your entire year was going good. And now, I have so many choices. 21st century America is an interesting and very blessed place to live at a global scale. Verse 17 says, teach those who are rich. And again, if you are in this room, I want to encourage you to consider that you are also in this scripture. And because of that, the second half of verse 17 also applies to you when it says, teach them that their, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. It says, don't trust in your money, trust only in God, who richly gives you all that you need for your enjoyment. Can I emphasize, for your enjoyment. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. Life is hard. You don't need to make it any harder than it already is. Someday at the vineyard, I am telling you, we have stated values and it's, it's venture and transparency and development. One of these days, we're going to add fun to our stated values because boring church is really boring. I mean, it's a bummer. Nobody wants to go to boring church, right? Like, we want to enjoy our lives with Christ, and I love that Paul wrote that in this text. It's written all over Scripture, to be honest. Ecclesiastes, if you've never read Ecclesiastes, is one of the most interesting books in all of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And when you get done reading Ecclesiastes, you're not really exactly, you're not sure, like, should I be happy or depressed right now? I'm not, I'm not sure what's happening to my heart. But in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 15 to 20, it says this, it says, listen, you are going to die naked just like you were born naked. You can't take your money with you. This is what it says. This is the good book. You're gonna die naked just like you were born naked. You can't take your money with you. It continues by saying, therefore, it is good to enjoy your life and all that God has given you. Enjoy it because it's God's gift to you. Now, of course, if you take a passage like this alone, and then you, you could condition yourself to be a glutton for pleasure instead of one who lives with radical generosity. But if you take that passage and you match it with all of the other passages and teachings about Jesus in terms of how to give and how to live your life, you quickly learn that we are called as Christians to be both uh, giving and enjoying life kind of simultaneously, that you can give and enjoy simultaneously. That this is part of the Christian lifestyle. It's totally possible to give and give extravagantly and at the same time enjoy all that God has blessed you with. 
Some of you enjoy without generosity, and if that's you, I want to encourage you to start giving. But others of us in this room, we, we give, 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 and then when it comes to spending some money on ourselves, we get stressed out. We get filled with anxiety, and we don't know if we can actually buy the $9.99 flip-flops at Target because it feels somehow shameful, or am I going to have enough? You're going to have enough. You can enjoy life. Buy the flip-flops. If you needed to hear that word today... Buy the flip-flops. Now, what's really interesting is when you, when you find somebody or you meet somebody who like, can't spend money on themselves and they feel almost ashamed if they do, and, and then you meet somebody else who, who gives, 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 and spends, 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 spends without a care in the world, and those two people marry each other. <laughs> I call that job security. I'm just teasing, of course, but this is what happens, right? Like some of us get so stressed out about spending money even on ourselves, even if it's a small amount of thing. Verse 17 is so good because it helps you understand these two essential truths when you're talking about money in the kingdom of God. That in all likelihood, on a global scale, you are rich, and this text applies to you. And the second thing is that you can enjoy what God has given to you. Be generous. Be radically generous. But enjoy the life the Lord has blessed you with. A book I recommend to a lot of people is Mother Teresa's No Greater Love. If you've not read this book, if you don't own this book, I would highly recommend it. I put a link to it in my sermon notes. If you have that really dangerous one-click buy, you can probably get it before my next sentence is over. But this is, a, this is a fantastic book because she leads you to follow Jesus in such a concrete way, but it's also very deep at the same time. I want to read a section of it from pages 46 to 47 to you, just because I think that the takeaways for us are, are incredibly in line with this passage from 1 Timothy 6. This is what Mother Teresa writes. She said, not long ago, a very wealthy Hindu lady came to see me. She sat down and told me, I would like to share in your work. In India, more and more people like her are offering to help. And I said, I said, that is fine. The poor woman had a weakness that she confessed to me, though. She said, I love elegant saris. That's a, that's a type of dress in India. I love elegant saris, she said. Indeed, she had a very expensive sari on that probably cost around 800 rupees. Mine only cost 8 rupees. Hers cost 100 times more. Then I asked the Virgin Mary to help me give an adequate answer. We would just, for clarity's sake, we would ask Jesus. That's how we, we do it. We, we would ask Jesus for an adequate answer to her question of how she could share in our work. It occurred to me to say to her, I would start with the saris. The next time you go to buy one, instead of paying 800 rupees, buy one that costs 500. Then with the extra 300 rupees, buy saris for the poor. The good woman now wears 100 rupee saris, and that is because I have asked her not to buy cheaper ones. She has confessed to me that this has changed her life. Now, obviously, this story was from Calcutta with a different currency, different clothing from a different generation. And so if you will allow me, I want to modernize it for a bit this morning and then challenge you the same way Mother Teresa challenged that woman. The Kelly Blue Book right now says that the average new car costs around $47,000. $25,000 if you buy a used car. 
What would it look like? What would it look like if the next time you bought a car, you intentionally spent less and you gave the difference away? The average vacation for a family of four costs $4,600. What if you stayed six nights instead of seven and you gave the difference away? In terms of monthly averages, we spend $300 a month eating out, $160 or so dollars on clothes each month, and $200 a month on coffee. Now, I'm sharing those not to tell you you should cut them out of your budget. I think that's weird. I don't think that's the idea from 1 Timothy 6, to cut all enjoyment out of your life, right? He said to enjoy life, but I am encouraging you to consider what you spend and to learn how to add generosity to what you're already spending. Because again, it's okay to love life. It's even okay to enjoy nice things. The question that we're wrestling with is how do I enjoy the, the blessings that God has given to me and match it with radical generosity? How do I live in both of those worlds at the same time? The answer is in Ecclesiastes 5. It's in 1 Timothy 6. It's in Mother Teresa's example it's to go on vacation. It's to buy the new shirt. It's to go out for coffee or, or to play golf. I'm not cutting out my golf budget. I'm going to continue to golf. You should continue to do what you love doing. But as you enjoy life, match it with incredible generosity. Match it with incredible generosity. Don't eliminate all the enjoyable things or, or feel shame when you spend money on yourself. Instead, what would, it look like if you, what would it look like if you opened a separate bank account? And every time you spent money on yourself, you just transitioned, you just, you just put a little in that side bank account. You just transferred a little bit over. So you buy a cup of coffee and you transfer over the, the value of a cup of coffee. You buy a shirt, you give a shirt. You go out to eat, you tip 20%, and you transfer another 20% into that special bank account. If you did that, and then over the course of a year, when you were confronted with a cause that you want to significantly give to, or maybe when we give a, a year-end push at the church, you have something set aside, you are already been intentional for a year to give generously in that moment, while you simultaneously enjoyed the life that God has blessed you with. We can be creative in our generosity, and we can impact the world in incredibly significant ways. There's something, I think, for all of us there, living in the tension of enjoyment and generosity. I want to go back to the scripture one last time, because I think verse 18 also has a great takeaway, and it's just right there in the words. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Paul told Timothy to tell his church, and so I'm telling you here today the same. Use your money to do good. Use your money to do good. Be rich in good works, generous to those in need, and stay ready to share with others. You know, part of my sermon prep over the course of this series, like I said, has been interviewing members of our church. And I loved one couple's take on staying generous. They said, we got hooked on giving when we realized our finances could be a part of how God is answering someone's prayer. When our finances could be used by God to answer 
someone's prayer. This is what we do, right? We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and generosity is a clear and tangible expression of joining God's work. When you give, you are co-laboring with Christ to answer someone's prayer. For the last few weeks, you know, I've encouraged everyone who calls our church their home church to give or to consider increasing their generosity. Because not only is giving to your local church an important part of your discipleship, it's important to God's heart, but it's also one of the best ways to live out verse 18, to use your money for good. You know, all of our offerings come together. They work together to impact the world around us. And since I've been bold in sharing and asking you to give, I also want to match that boldness with a fair amount of transparency this morning. I want to tell you what happens when you give to this church and how your generosity impacts our church and, and then consequently how it impacts the world. I'm not sure how many of you have thought about this, but when you give to your local church, some of what you give does go to support this building. It's not very glamorous to think about how we need to take care of the building and how we need to steward what God has given to us, but we do need to take care of it and we do need to steward it. And our building, by the way, it does have value. Young Life uses our building three times a week to reach young adults, high school, and middle school students. We host Celebrate Recovery every Monday night. We have small groups and staff meetings. We pastor marriages and parents in this space. And then, of course, 52 Sundays a year, we gather together to experience the power and presence of Jesus Christ. And so it makes sense that at least some of your offerings go to help our space. Thankfully, you know, many of you know this, that this building doesn't have a mortgage, that it's completely paid off. So, yes, this, this happened a couple of years ago. This was a really significant moment for our church when we paid off the mortgage on this building. So 0% of your giving goes to pay a mortgage on this building. Of course, we, we do have some expenses next door, but if you know the church store, you also know that that third building was donated to us in an incredible God story. But all of this means that our overhead for property is less than 15%. Less than 15%. And for frame of reference, that's really good because the nonprofits try to stay under 35% and we're under 15. So we're doing really, really good there as a local church. Some goes to our building, but not very much. I will also say that when you give, you support our staff. And it is a humble position to be in. But I'm so thankful that we have a generous church because it means that our families are taken care of, that your generosity supports our families. Of course, it's God. We know it's God. I don't want to cross up our lines there. But it's you co-laboring with Christ to do his work. And when we have medical expenses, and we've had big ones, we're so thankful that we have health insurance. And that's a result of this church being generous. 
So thank you. As I say these things, I also can't help but remember previous conversations that I've had. And I've been drilled on this by many, so I'll just disclose it. Many have wondered, what do pastors make? Are they living large lives? And so I'll just tell while maintaining some privacy for our staff, I'll just, I'll, I'll share a fair amount of transparency. The pastors on our staff, they make what an average school teacher would make at Poudre School District. We've kind of designed it to follow that. And so I can assure you that we are not living large lives, that we are living modest lives. And by the way, we all give generously to the vineyard because it's part of our discipleship, just like it's part of your discipleship. This is what we do. And I know there might be bad examples out there with people raking in tons of money in the church, but I can tell you, I personally don't know a single one. I don't know a single pastor who got into this job for money. In fact, most of us, myself included, we've left corporate jobs and left careers because God was calling us to pastor. This is the nature. And so I know some of you don't care. I know some of you already trust where it's going, but I just want to share that with you in case there's ever any wondering. Or if you ever hear a conversation, you can just say clearly, no, they make a teacher's salary. This is how they've designed how the finances work at the Vineyard Church. I also want to share just for a moment how much money how much money we use for ministry and outreach and missions because for a church our size, it's a really significant amount of money. And it's something that I'm so grateful for, something that the founders of this church, Rick and Becky, seeded into this congregation that many of you upheld that we are just radically generous when it comes to giving to the poor. This year alone, if we hit our projected budget and we have our one-day offering in the fall, we will give as a church we either give away or spend directly on ministry ourselves $225,000 this year alone. Now that goes to folks in need uh, from right within our local congregation, obviously our local community. It goes to national nonprofits that we support as well as international nonprofits. $225,000 dedicated to kids and youth ministry, mission trips, counseling assistance. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Men's and women's ministry, local partners like Young Life or Alpha Pregnancy Center. Of course, our international work like Life for the Innocent, rescuing children out of the sex slavery industry. And of course, Convoy of Hope. That's why, by the way, our TVs in the lobby are always lit up with all of the things we're doing with our generosity because we want it to be a constant reminder how your money is going to work in the kingdom. This is how we feed 2,000 kids a day in Zimbabwe and we dig wells and plant churches because we're extravagant with our generosity. One exciting thing to mention is that soon Convoy of Hope is going to drop a shipping container off in our parking lot. 
And one of, their, one of their new ministries is they're buying and retrofitting shipping containers with STEM education, and they're going to ship them all over the developing world in partnership with what they're already doing in feeding the kids and empowering women and creating the agmas. Now they're going to be teaching science and tech, engineering and math, so that genera- genera- generational cycles of poverty can be broken when these students can, make high, can get high-quality jobs earning good money and changing the trajectory of their family. And if you'll indulge me for just one more exciting thing, later this summer in August, we're going to be celebrating our 40th anniversary as a church. We've been around for 40 years. This is a, this is a big deal. Everybody who didn't clap, come back next week and give me a clap on that one, okay? <laughs> Kidding. Kidding. Now you're never going to come back. Just to stick it to them. No, I, <clears throat> that's what I would have done anyway. Anyway, stick to the notes, man. Um, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. And we're going to enjoy it. We're going to throw a party. We're going to have a great, because First Timothy 6, right? Enjoy the life that God has given to you. We're going to enjoy it. But... Rick and Becky Olmstead, the founders of this church, they, in a lot of ways, they built this church on caring for the poor. And so what we decided to do is we're going to give a radical gift later this year to the tune of $40,000 to nonprofits outside of our local church. So that... So that we continue a lens looking outward, uplifting nonprofits, empowering them to do the work that we so deeply care about that quite honestly, sometimes they're better at doing than we are. And we just thought this is a way to celebrate being 40 years old, to throw a party, but also to give parties away. And when that time comes, we're going to invite you to participate by giving an extra $40 or $400 or whatever increment, that way you can tie it to 40 years of celebration hits your heart, and we're going to give a significant amount of money away. All of these things happen. Caring for our building, caring for our staff, caring for the outreach globally, nationally, and locally. All of these things happen when you give. It's all for his glory. It's all to advance the kingdom of God. And it's all together. See, the beauty of the scriptures teach us that it's not how much you give, it's from where you give. So everybody can be involved, whether you're quite wealthy or whether you have hardly anything to your name. When you give from here and you give with joy, you're part of joining God's mission, transforming all things. I'm going to close with two really quick thoughts, and this is going to be a bit of a crash landing, but I want to say these things. First, if you've been listening to the messages these last few weeks and you've thought to yourself, Jeff, I I really want to give, but I'm buried financially, and I don't know how I'm going to get out, then I just want to let you know we have financial coaches, leaders in our church that would love to meet with you. They love spreadsheets, (laughs) and they will help you. And so if that's you, just send me an email and I'll connect the dots. It's not me. I will connect the dots. And they would love to come alongside of you and help you learn how to steward everything God has given you so that you can become even more generous as you follow him. And second, a quote from someone I interviewed within our church because I think we can often learn from each other. She said, 
doing ministry, and being generous have always been the same thing for me. Because giving is ministry. It creates impact. And it helps us join God's work in the transformation of all things. I pray. I pray that our transparency is helpful for you. I pray also that you'll join us in the work we're doing. And I pray that 1 Timothy 6, that God's word would speak to your heart this morning, that you can be both radically generous and enjoy all that God has given to you. Won't you pray with me?